I do want to read the passage before us this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. So let's remain standing while I read the word of God. Verses 17 through 21 is our text today. So let me read. We're continuing our study of the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your father forefathers, but with precious blood as the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father in God, it is a privilege to be here. We are thankful and grateful for the opportunity to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And yet, Father, the reality with each one of us is, though we have physical eyes, often we do not see. We do not see with our heart. We do not see spiritually. And it is our heart's prayer that the Spirit of God would have liberty to instruct and to teach each one of us that this word that has been recorded for us would not just be an ancient writing, but, Father, would be a reality that we understand, that, Father, you would bring it home to our lives while we are here on earth so that, Father, we can apply it. We thank you for this opportunity to study it together, and we pray that the Spirit of God would truly lead and guide for we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning's uh, message and title is pretty simple. It's one word, redemption. There are many, many, many things that we take for granted, especially as time goes by. Let me just give you some examples of some of the things that are common with us. How about we start with life itself? Getting out of bed this morning. Took it for granted, didn't you? That you, maybe some of you that are suffering physically didn't. But for the most part, we do. We just get out of bed and assume on with life we go. We take our health for granted. We do. We take this country. It's unfortunate. We complain a lot. But we do take this country for granted. We take the freedom that we have, the ability to move here and there and to go about our business. We often take our marriages for granted. We often take our children. You know that there are many who cannot have children, and yet we take them for granted our grandchildren if we have them. If we get into our physical possessions, if you happen to own a home, often after time it's taken for granted. It's our home. We deserve it. We earned it. We got it. Our cars, whatever you got here by way of transportation, no matter how you got the car, can be taken for granted. The very food that we eat, even thinking about coming to a session like uh, was just mentioned, uh, chow with the chods, okay? Just take it for granted. There's going to be food, and then we'll complain because we don't like the food. Hopefully that won't be the case today. But uh, the reality is we just take these things for granted. How about spiritually? There are many things we take for granted. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, probably... Throughout that time of salvation, you have taken for granted the salvation that God has provided. We take for granted the Lord very frequently. That he's there. That I can pray to him. That we can worship him. That he's going to listen. 
that he sovereignly is in control of things. We take for granted our Bibles. Oh, we know that it's the word of God. Before I was a believer, I had been brought up to know that the Bible was the word of God. Whether or not I wanted to believe it or not, I was brought up with that. But we take it for granted, whether you got it through technology that you can get to in two seconds or you have a hard copy in front of you. We do take for granted the fact that there are services that go on, that church just goes on. Think about that. Did you think of this morning, I hope Pastor Dan has prepared today, and what it went into the kitchen work, and uh, did you take for granted the fact that the building was cleaned and, and the lawn was cut, uh, or did you just assume you know, that everything was going to be in place? We take these things for granted all the time, and especially as time goes by, more and more. And we forget in relationship to that what has been involved in the cost. In the cost of providing these benefits that you and I have. For example, wars, though that may not be something we'll forget today because in reality we still have wars going on today. We know what's going on in Israel and the Gaza Strip. But we forget the wars of our country often. We forget our soldiers. We forget the cost for these freedoms that you and I enjoy. We forget the loss of life. And even if we see the loss of life today, such as happened with the airlines, and I hope you're praying for those families, the survivors, we, we forget. We forget the cost while we take our health for granted we forget all of the experiments that have brought us to the technology so that today you can go for heart surgery and be in and out in almost the same day. We forget all the cost of the many lives that were lost or all that technology. We just take it for granted. We can go in and out and you want to get a knee replaced, fine. You get a knee replaced at 2 and by 6 o'clock the next day you're home. And uh, we just take it for granted. We expect those things. We forget the long hours of uh, the job and the work and all the energy that had to be put into our having what we do have. We forget of the death of saints. What do you mean? You have the word of God. Do you know that you would not have the word of God in your hand had it not been for saints who were burnt at the stake? Had it not been for the fact that people stood up and said, here I stand, and I will get this into the common man's hand. We take that for granted. We got a Bible. We take for granted the hours and the study and the research that has been done in theology so that you and I debate and have arguments, and indeed, the Church of Jesus Christ gets split over the fine hairs of theology of all the hours and energy. If you could just look back, and it's interesting, I did it, to look back and see the hours and energy and criticism that it took to put Strong's Concordance together. That man was criticized by his church for not being in attendance. And you and I would have never had Strong's Concordance had those many hours and years of research been put in. And how about the death of Christ, obviously? Our mode of operation is to give very little thought to those things, very little appreciation until something happens and our health is jeopardized or a house is lost, or our freedom is taken away from us. In fact, we just expect it and we feel we deserve it. What in the world, Pastor Dan, does that have to do with this message? Everything. Because Peter knew that believers in Jesus Christ and the spiritual benefits that you and I reap especially in regards to redemption, would be forgotten. That's why he's addressing it. That's why he's addressing it here. 
He has already, in our 16 verses that we've studied together, encouraged not only the believers who are suffering, but us. He's encouraged us for the, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And I'm not, when I talk about that, that gets thrown around. Here's another thing that just gets thrown around today. Trust in Jesus Christ. Say you believe in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We'll expand on that today. But for those who have placed their faith in the finished and completed work solely of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, death, resurrection, for those who have trusted in Christ, Peter has assured them, though they're facing persecution, he's encouraged them that you are a believer. He's encouraged them that we have an internal inheritance. It'll never be taken away. So don't worry about that. He's prepared them in these first 16 verses that there is a daily battle that you and I are experiencing every day. And he's prepared them, you need to be ready for battle. And how do you prepare to face that battle daily? He's shown them to fix your minds. It starts with the battle of the mind. And get our minds fixed on the grace of God in what God is doing. He's already laid that foundation. And where we ended up in verse 16, he told us to live a holy life because God is holy. And we understand that. And I expounded that to you, that it's not just sexually. He's dealing with every aspect of our life with truthfulness. I just read something uh, this past week on deceitfulness and lying. And how this nation right now and people today expect people to lie. And expect and accept lies and deception on resumes, on jobs, in the market, and on, on phone calls and text messaging and on and on and on it goes and God's called us to live a holy life not like that he knows he's encouraged with that but he also knew that in that daily battle believers in the struggles would get discouraged or forget even though he told them what they have would forget what God had done and begin to take that redemption for granted so he reminds believers as he's closing out this first chapter, and it's only going to get better, by the way, in this book, because he's really going to encourage them in very many practical ways. But he, again, knows what will happen, and he knows as time goes by, redemption will be forgotten. So he encourages believers and reminds them of the redemption, and he talks about its price, its plan, and its purpose in the text that is before us. And you notice what he starts out with first before really jumping right into that redemption. It's found in verse 17. Take a look at it with me. He reminds them as he's encouraged them, and this needs to be taken note from every one of us in this room that have trusted in Christ, that you are going to be accountable. Did you get that? Nobody wants accountability. We don't. We want independent lives. We want our own I this, my this, my this, my that. It's all about me. It's all about myself. It's all about me being isolated and not being accountable to anybody. Listen, folks. By the way, everybody in this room will be accountable. But believers, you will be accountable to Christ as well. Unbelievers, you will also be accountable, whether you like it or not. And he reminds them of that. He starts off by saying in verse 17, if you address as father, now we take that for granted. What do you mean? It really could be translated since you do address him as father, because we do. There are many that call upon God as father today. And let me clarify a couple of things right away. Probably the world is out there and calling upon God and saying that he is our father. Let me clarify this. First of all, God is the father of everybody. Now listen carefully. He is the father of everybody as far as creation goes. He has created all men and women in the image and likeness of God. And indeed, the book of Ephesians, and I believe very clearly in chapter 3, verse 14, though many commentators, including the one I'm looking at, disagrees with me, I believe the context very clearly calls to the one 
who is the father of all those in heaven and all those in earth and uses it in the sense of just reminding us that we are all accountable to God. So in that sense, he is the father of all creation. But not everybody who calls upon God, the father, truly belongs to him. I want you to keep your finger here. We're coming right back. Go with me to John chapter 8 for a minute. This is sober minding. You say, well, there's people all over the world calling upon God as their father. Of course there are. But that doesn't mean that he's their intimate father in relationship to salvation. Now, if anybody could have made that claim, it not only would have been the Jewish faith, since they were the people of God called out by God, but certainly the leaders of the Jewish faith, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the priests. They were the ones who were to be guiding that chosen nation. And in John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ confronts them. This is the story of I am the light of the world. And he's bringing it out. And they just didn't understand who Jesus was. For time's sake, go down to verse 39 of chapter 8. As the Lord Jesus Christ is carrying on this conversation with these leaders, we come to this in verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. They start with Abraham. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. If you claim he's your father, then do what he does. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, which was the truth. A man who has told you the truth, which they didn't want to hear, which I heard from God, who is the only source of truth. This Abraham did not do. He simply believed God and he acted on it. And he goes on and said, you are doing the deeds of your father. And that kind of hit home with them. What do you mean our father? We said we're Abraham. And so they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. And who do they claim it is? God. That's what they said. That is the world we're in today. God is our father. I refer to him as God. And we take that for granted. I want you to see what happens. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love who? Me. Jesus. Don't let anybody fool you today and say, because there are many religions in this world that say they are referring to God, the one God, the true God, but Jesus, he's only a prophet. He's not the son of God. He's not who God said he is. I don't need to worry about Jesus. Sorry. Look at this verse. If God were your father, you'd love me. Why? For I proceed forth, hold on to this, and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand me? Now look at this. What I, say, what I am saying, it is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father. Who is your father? The devil. That's pretty frightening. You see, there are many people that call upon God as father, and really their father is the devil. They think they are worshiping the one true God. You cannot worship the one true God unless you worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot know the one true God unless you know the God of the Bible, unless you know the God of creation. And you and I take that for granted. Every day, today, Ron Baldwin opened in prayer. I opened in prayer. You probably did it in your personal life. And we go and we say, our Father. And we just take that for granted without even thinking. And he starts off with that in 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter he says, if you address as father, which we do, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Who are we addressing when we talk about father in our prayers? We are addressing the one. Now it's true, just for those who theologically are aware of it, that he has committed all judgment to the son. The book, the scriptures make that clear. But he is the God of judgment, and he impartially judges. And listen, folks. First of all, if you don't know Christ, you might not think you need to know God. You might not care about God. You might not care about religion. You might not care about anything like that. It does not change the fact that you had nothing to do with your birth. God created this world. He is the one you will answer to, and you will die. And in that moment, you will then become answerable to the God of creation. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, and I'll expand on that and again in a few moments, you will stand at the great white throne judgment, 
And then that judgment, there is no distinction between rich, poor, old, young. There's no distinguishing between men and women, nothing whatsoever. Kings, paupers, doesn't matter. Those who have not trusted in Christ will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be condemned to hell, which is real for all eternity. You will answer to an impartial judge. And so we sit here as believers and say, praise the Lord, I don't have to worry about that. Yes, but he's addressing believers. And he says, you call on him who is an impartial, impartial judge, and guess what? You and I are going to be judged for what we have done since salvation. Keep your finger here. I want you to go back. One text, but back and forth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn with me there. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see this. So if you are a believer in Christ, are you condemned? No. There is no condemnation. The blood of Christ, and we'll talk about redemption, will forever be there, and you will never have condemnation. However, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, here the Apostle Paul, including himself, says, For we must all, all, no exceptions, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one, that is individual, every single one, may recompense for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If you are here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't face hell, you don't face the condemnation of hell, but you need to realize that you will stand before an impartial judge who will not turn around and say, oh, that was you? Well, I understand. No loss of reward. Come on in. No. He is going to say, you trusted in Christ. You talked to me as your father. What have you been doing since then? I will judge your works now. Not to see whether you get into heaven. See, that's the concept of religion. That is based upon good works, whether I get into heaven. No. We will see because of redemption, we have that relationship with Christ, but we stand in what is our judgment. It is what we have done since salvation, not to decide whether we get into heaven. It's based on the reward and the position that we have in heaven. And it's going to be impartial. That is why he says pay attention to your conduct in 1 Peter. That is why he's talking about the battle every day. And look at what he says in verse 9 of this text. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore... We also have as our ambition, let me challenge all of us as believers, is this our ambition, what? Whether at home or absent, whether we're with the Lord like Jerry is right now, or we are absent like we are right now being here, to be pleasing to him. Is that your motivation? Is that your goal? Because one day you and I are going to stand before him and give an account of whether or not our lives as believers have been pleasing to him. And so Peter, he's encouraging them in trials, but go back now to 1 Peter. He says to them, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that gold, silver, precious stone, the wood, hay, stubble that you believers understand and know about. Notice what he says, conduct yourselves. That's the same thing that he said through the apostle Paul. I seek to please him. Your lives should be directed by the fact that you are able to call upon the one true God who you are going to give an account to. You just bounce around in your Christian life thinking it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter whether I read. It doesn't matter whether I love the brethren. It doesn't matter whether I get involved in serving. It doesn't matter whether I exercise my gifts. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't need to worry about the battles every day because I'm a Christian and I'm going to be in heaven. You are also going to stand before the impartial judge who is going to evaluate your performance. And just to give you an illustration, and that's all it is is an illustration, Remember the, the talents. What did you do with what I gave you? Were you pleasing to me? And so he brings them back and he says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. This is not where we belong. That's how he opened the book. Remember, we are the aliens. We are the sojourners. We are the pilgrims. 
We are passing through. And God has kept us alive. Why? So that we can enjoy this world? Of course he wants you to enjoy it. But that's not your primary purpose. If it is, you're in trouble. The primary purpose is to please him in everything that we do. And that means that we had to walk in fear. What does that mean? A reverential fear? All of your texts would tell you that. That's true. It's, a, it's an awe. Why? Because he's God and I'm able to call upon him. It means humility. The very fact that I can call on the God of the universe. You know, too many have the concept today that God is just buddy-buddy. There are many services that are conducted that I personally, with all my heart, believe I don't want to be in the shoes of those ministers, pastors, in those churches where they just think, God's our buddy, let's join in and have a great time. Listen, God's my father. God is holy. God is expecting me to exercise my gifts. God, and we're going to see this, has done something miraculous in my life. And I am accountable to him. And I have the privilege of having his word. You know, by God's grace, this is my 35th year of ministering the word of God. And I tell you, folks, and I mean this sincerely, I have nothing new to bring. All I have to do is bring what he's given. And if we know it, that's what we need to walk by. This is not about new inventions. It's about the God of the universe and knowing what he said and doing it. And doing it. And so he gets into this fact. What about this fear? I won't spend the time to go in. The fear of God is where everything begins. Yes, I have a great relationship. I don't need to fear him like he's going to beat me up. But I, knew, I do need to have that reverential fear and awe where I have the privilege, verse 17, of calling the one who will judge me my father. Papa, the scriptures say. Abba, father. Papa, papa. That intimate relationship. Some of you have children, grandchildren, and that's why I always say to parents, don't get so buddy-buddy with your children that they don't call you mom and dad. You're the only person in the world that they can do that to. Don't lose that. Your grandchildren, they have names for you. And it's a precious thing. We can call upon the God of the universe's father. So he says, now you know that and you're ready for the work. He says this, now it gets right into redemption. Look, and he starts with the price, verse 18 and 19. Knowing, see, we had to walk in the fear of God. Why? He wants them to remember this because they're taking it for granted. Knowing that you were redeemed with not redeemed, excuse me, with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's the price. Now, what's this idea of redemption? The word redemption means to purchase, to purchase by paying a ransom. You pay for something and you redeem it. It is to deliver by paying a price. And in the time of the writing of scripture, it literally meant, and it's, we can relate to this a little bit today, I think, but at that time of writing the scriptures, it meant to pay money in order to buy back somebody who was a prisoner of war. They were a prisoner of war and they would pay back, they would pay a price and redeem that soldier back. And that was known as redemption. With Israel, it was very clear, that's why I read that passage. They were a people in bondage, and they had to be redeemed. They couldn't do it themselves. There was something that needed to be bought. It's interesting. When I was a young, I'm going to give my age away, some of you will relate to this. Most of you will not. But I remember being a little boy in which my mother collected uh, S&H green stamps, and I used to be the one that had to lick them. Some of you are going like this. Some of you are giving your age away. I had to lick them in this book and, I, and whatever. Why? My, my mother collected these because you, they had redemption centers. We still have them for bottles and stuff today. They had redemption centers. But that's how we purchased things for the home. But you had to have the right amount of books. I remember that. My mom would say, I need five books. Keep saving. We need five books. Keep looking away, putting them in there. I got five books and we can get that dinnerware. And that's what we would do. We'd get out of the redemption center and we had to have the right price and we would get it. 
For Israel, they were in bondage. They couldn't do anything. We read that. And remember what we read? God delivered them. He redeemed them. He bought them back. What was the cost of that? The life of a lamb. Unblemished. And that lamb had to be killed. And you know the story. They put the blood of the lamb, and as the angel of death came in, anyone who had that, God passed over. That was the price of redemption for them. What about for us? For people today, the redemption, our redemption was not with perishable things like gold or silver. There was no S&H green stamps for this. And you notice this. It was a bondage from sin and death. Notice what the word says in verse 18. It says, from your futile way of life. You say, I don't have a futile way of life. If you don't know Christ, you do. You might bounce from thing from here to there. You might have something that satisfies temporarily, but deep down in your heart, you don't have anything that satisfies your soul. And religion is not going to give you the answer. No religion is. Only God can. It's a futile life. It's a people are pursuing things, and you just read the stories. You can read them on the internet. There are people that have been very wealthy, and the money didn't satisfy when it came to death. There are people that had fame. I could name some ball players to you. The sports are a big thing today. I could name some ball players and who were tremendous ball players, and you say, "Who are they?" Never heard of them. I'm talking about in the state of Massachusetts. Who are they? I talked to young people about this basketball star. And that. Who? Who was Sam Jones? Never heard of that guy. He got more rings than all the guys that are around today, including the guy that's getting paid all these bucks. See? Fame, it all disappears. It goes away. It was a futile life. We were without God. Folks, you need to remember this. We were without God. We were without hope. We were without life. And God bought us out. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. That's what our life produced. Sin after sin in our thought process, in our heart. Envy, lust, hatred. All of that. Immorality. It, that was our life. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. It's right close by. Just go there for a second. That's the life of a person who has not yet come to Christ. And that is the life of you are redeemed today. That is the life that you and I had. Titus chapter 3. Verse 3. One verse. For we also, he's talking about believers, once were foolish ourselves. What does that mean? Disobedient. Deceived. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Watch. Spending our life in malice and envy hateful, hating one another. And it goes on. That, that's, that was our life. That's the way we were before I came to Christ. Oh, I went to church. Oh, I said prayers. I did. But it didn't do any good. They didn't go anywhere. I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship. I was pursuing the things of the world. And what happened? I was helpless without God. Without hope. And if you are here today, I guarantee you, if you're pursuing fame, money, or you don't even know what you're pursuing, but you don't know the one true living God. Yeah, you've called upon him as God and said, I pray to him sometimes, and he doesn't answer. It's because you don't have a relationship with him. And what happens is it was true with them. They inherited this from their forefathers. They were filled with tradition, ritual, and religion. And that will not provide any serious hope for anybody. There is no religion on the face of the earth that will do that. But God did something about it. And the cost was high. You see, if you're a believer, you need to understand, and I need to understand, and Peter wants them to understand this in their trials and in their battles and in their discouragement, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things but with the precious blood of the Lamb unblemished, the blood of Christ. Our cost was great. It was high. It wasn't silver and gold. It wasn't animal sacrifice. It was the spotless Lamb of God. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the cost was high. 
You think about it right now, you giving up your only child or giving up a child and just sacrificing them. And here it is, the God of the universe who created everything, who owns everything, and he gave up his glory to come here to earth and lay it aside to pay the penalty and price for sin, death. And he died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. That was the cost. That's what it means for God so loved us. He didn't just look at us and say, I feel sorry. He had to have the sacrifice committed, so he came himself and took on flesh. And in case you think he wasn't without sin, just look at what this says in this book. Go to chapter 2, same book, verse 24. He himself, that is Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's why we refer to the cross of Calvary. Why? So that we would die to sin and to live unto righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. We were healed. How do we get healed? By putting our faith in Christ. Go to chapter 3, same book, 1 Peter. We'll see this eventually. Look at verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. You don't need these other sacrifices. Christ did it all, once for all. Notice what he says, the just for the unjust. I was unjust, you were unjust. Christ loved us so much, God loved us so much that he didn't just create us, he sent his son to die, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That's how you get to God. You don't do it by good works, you don't do it by religion, you do it by the very act of God himself, sending his son, who was the perfect sacrifice. It was his blood. And you know, I grew up in Roman Catholicism. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 for a second. Hebrews chapter 10. You know, even with the Jewish laws, what about all those animals? None of that can take away sin. I understand clearly this is talking to the nation of Israel, but boy, did this hit me, being an altar boy growing up and seeing the priests perform those sacrifices day after day, this passage really spoke to me. Let me just read it quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, since it is only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually. Now, the Jewish sacrifice, it was year after year for the Day of Atonement, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, it'd be, it would be ceased to be offered. Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have to have a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible. It is what? Impossible. For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. None of that can take away sin. It was an illustration of the redemption of Israel because God chose to pass over them. But it didn't take away their sins. Not at all. What has he done? He prepared a body, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down to verse 11. You can read everything in between. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice, watch, for sins for how long? All time, forever. Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time onward until his enemies be made his footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Who are those who are sanctified? Those who are the saints. Those who come to him by faith. That's what redemption is. The cost of our redemption was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I belong to. I belong to God. I was bought with a price, and it was very expensive, and I've forgotten it. I go along in my Christianity and forget how much God loved me and forget the sacrifice that was made to redeem me and buy me out of the market of sin. That's why there's no more sacrifices. Christ did it once, once for all. So will you continue to face the battle? Yes. Will you continue to have to have your mind prepared for that battle? Yes. Must you continue to live for Christ? The answer is yes. 
And we will have our struggles. We will have our battles just like they would have. But what will keep us going is remember the cost that got us to where we are. It is the cost of God. The Lamb of God. Look, at that's what it says in verse 19. It was the precious blood of the Lamb unblemished. Who was it? The blood of Christ. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does it mean, takes away? We're still sinners. He paid the price himself. That's what happened. We need to set our priorities. We have these struggles, but we need to go back and reflect on what Christ has done. And if you see other believers, he's done that for them. And we need to understand that they are precious in his eyes. And I didn't turn there, by the way, but that is a passage where it talked about how his glory again, and we're going to get to that, really. What happened is God restored that. That was the prayer of John chapter 17. God, restore unto me the glory that I had before the world was. We're going to see that when we get to verse 21. That was the price of my salvation, of your salvation. How could we not want to please him? There are too many pilgrims, and I'm talking about this in a sense, the true believers, who have become wanderers away from the things of God. We are living in a day and age in which we've taken for granted that redemption, the cost, the love that God has for us, and why we're here. Listen, I've enjoyed that the trip was marvelous that we took as a church. And it was wonderful, wonderful to see the things that we saw. But this isn't my home. And that was temporary. And you know what? As beautiful as it was, it's a sign of God's judgment. It's a scar. It lets us know that God is serious. And when you take vacations and enjoy it, and you should, we need to remember that that's, we need that for refreshment. But that's not why we're here. We're here because God prayed, paid a price. We belong to him. We call upon him as father. And this plan, by the way, notice in verse 20, this plan was before the foundation of the world. Look at it. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. And that last time, so we don't get confused, is really from the time of the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ when you look at Scripture. Jesus Christ came into this world. Why? That wasn't a mistake. This wasn't God looking down and saying, oh, by the way, I didn't realize that man is not going to obey me, so I better come up with another plan. Before the foundation of the world began, Jesus Christ loved us and chose to give his life on our behalf. And if you want to see that in one quick verse, just look at chapter 2 of Acts. Let's go there. Come on. Acts chapter 2. I want you to see it. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Here is Peter addressing same person that's writing to these believers and we're studying today. Here's Peter writing, and he says in verse 23 to the Jewish leaders, This man, that is Jesus Christ, in case you don't think that that's true, look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to the words of Jesus the Nazarene. There's no mistaken. The man attested to you by God. Now verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan. Predetermined. I spoke about this as we started the book of 1 Peter. It works together. He didn't just know about it, he planned it. And foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Was that a mistake? No. That was the predetermined plan of God because he was the spotless lamb of God who redeemed us. Go to chapter 4 of the book of Acts just for one second here. Chapter 4. Look at verses 27 and 28. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, among, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. That's everybody. Who killed Jesus? Pontius Pilate, yes. The Jews, yes. The Gentiles, yes. To do whatever your hand, verse 28, and your purposes 
pre-decided to occur. Look at verse 24, I think it is, of that text where it says, and when they heard this, they lifted their voices and said, God, you know, oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. And he purchased it. That was all part of God's plan. God's plan was that he not only created man in his own image and likeness, he knew we would sin and he planned for our salvation. And that, my friend, is why there is salvation in no one else. It's only God. God bought us out. There was a price and our debt, we could not pay it. So God himself and his predetermined plan paid the debt by sending his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the cost of our redemption. God leaving his glory out of his love for you to die on the cross to pay that penalty. He appeared to us in God's perfect timing according to Galatians chapter 4. Let's turn to that. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, why did Jesus Christ come when he did? We celebrate Christmas. and Why did it happen then? God's perfect timing. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Why? Because he had to take on flesh. Born under the law. Why? Because that was what was given to Israel. hadn't been completed. Christ fulfilled it. Why, though? Verse 5. So that he might, what's the word? Redeem. So that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that we could call upon him as our father and know it was real. So that we could call upon him as father and know that he understands us and truly understand that he is my papa. He is my father. He is not just the father because of creation. He is the father because I belong to him as an adopted son because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's the cost. And the purpose, very quickly, is verse 21 of 1 Peter. Let's go back there. For through him, who through him, I believe is in God. He came for our sake, and we are believers in God. We believe God. Why? Because he is the one who had the plan. And what this believing isn't just the name of Jesus and attaching Jesus Christ to your life. It's realizing that I was helpless, worthless, in the sense not of not worthless to other people, but helpless and worthless in the sense of gaining favor with God. He created me, but I'm a sinner. And God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son so that I could be a believer. So that I, what does that mean? I could be redeemed. Purchased by the blood of Christ. Notice, and this is where it ties in to what I said in John. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. That was his prayer. His prayer was, give me the glory that I had with you before the world was. And when he was raised from the dead, we know from Hebrews, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. His work is done. His work is finished. I can't do anything. You can't do anything. If you are here and have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, notice it says, so that your faith and hope are where? In God. Don't place it in man. Man will fail. Don't place it in religion. It won't work. There are no good works that can do it. Your faith has to be in God. Well, what does it have to be in God? In the fact that he said, you cannot save yourself, but I will buy you I will do it by sending my son. Place your faith in his finished work on the cross. He paid the debt. That was the debt. It's been paid. And if you've trusted in Christ, you've been redeemed. So what does that mean? If you call upon him as father, then you need to walk this life and conduct your life here in the fear of God in the sense that I belong to him. The cost was great. God, don't let me forget that. And you know where he's going with this? It's going to start in a very practical way next week. 
because he's going to say, if you're walking in fear, let me see how you love one another. Let me see it to be real. And what was the incentive to keep him going? The cost of our redemption. Don't take it for granted. If you know him, live. Sure, there's trials. Sure, there's tribulation. What keeps us going? I've been purchased. I belong to God. He's my father. I will stand and give an account. That's why I want to be careful how I walk through this journey. And if you don't know him, Christ went to the cross. The payment has been made. Place your faith in him. It won't work anyplace else. It's got nothing to do with this church. It's got nothing to do with Pastor Dan. It's got nothing to do with ministers, pastors, rabbis. No one can save you but God himself. And he's done the work through Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lie of the world. Don't believe the lie of your own life. What do you mean? That I can do it. You can't escape your sin. You can't escape your death. But life has been purchased through you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and enjoy the redemptions provided so you can call upon him as your father. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know as believers, we do take for granted the cost of our salvation, the redemption, the great cost that it was to you, the fact that we've been purchased from a life that was without God, without hope in the world, full of sin. And it's, Father, not that we changed our lives, but that you bought us, that you did something about our sin in sending your Son. And I pray, Father, for every believer here that we would realize that while we have no condemnation, we still stand before an impartial judge who will judge every motive, every thought, and everything that we've done since our life of knowing Christ. Help us, Father, to make it our goal to please you in all that we do. And Father, when we fail, we thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us. We thank you that we can never lose that salvation. But help us to walk with joy and with the redemption price ever conscious in our mind so that we live for you the way we should. For those who don't know Christ, we pray that they would come to trust in him and would come to realize that you paid the price, that redemption's price has been paid might they place their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work as their substitute on the cross of Calvary. And might they experience the joy of redemption, the joy of life, and the joy of being able to call you Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will uh, give you instruction, I guess, with the chads out in the multipurpose room later. <laughs>